0: today to the book of Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to continue on with the series I started last week called The Invisible Kingdom. This will just be titled The Invisible Kingdom Part 2. And uh, as we look at this, I was just basically sharing with you that Jesus came, first of all, John the Baptist came preaching a message where he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, as he came on the scene after John baptized him in water, he was also preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's here. And Jesus said in, John, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, he said to seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that we long for. All the things that we need, clothing and food and comfort and all those things will be added to us. So I want to welcome you today into the house of God. Those of you watching online, welcome to the service today. And um, I'm talking today about seeking first the kingdom of God. And the teaching that you are receiving today is is far from just theory. And I want us to understand this. This is more than a, a sermon um, these are actual principles. And uh, many years ago, I've preached on this. But I really sense the need in the day and hour in which we live that w- we cannot live like the world. We cannot live under the thought processes that they live under because it will not accomplish God's kingdom, it won't accomplish His righteousness. Um, I happened to drive by another church today, and on their marquee, it said, Pray big, worry little. And as I went by that, I was like, that sounds pretty good, but this is even better. Pray big and worry none. I just can't imagine Jesus worrying any. I'm not getting on to the church for that. I'm just saying, pray big is good. But I don't even want worry, I don't want to give it an ounce of time in my life. Because worry is doubt popularized or made okay. Well, you're just worrying, that's okay, it's what you should do. No, lay it unto God, put it on the altar... Pray and believe. Amen? You see, we hear this phrase a lot of times in our life, and that is this, that this will literally change your life. Have you ever heard that? This can literally change your life. You buy this product, and it will literally, it will change your life. But today, we hear that phrase so often that this can change our life. But I want you to know, if we will grab a hold of these principles, this really can change our life. If we will learn these keys, if we will walk with these, if we will work with these, they will change us. They will get us out of bondage. They're the key to getting us out of bondage. Now, look at Matthew chapter 16. Read with me verses 13 through 19. I'll also have them on the screen up front here. The Bible says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And He said to them, But who do you... Say that I am. And that's my question to us today is who do we, who do you say he is? And it goes on, and Simon Peter said, You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now hang there for just a second. Jesus called him by his name, his full name. Now I remember growing up, usually if I got called by my full name, it usually wasn't for a good thing. I was usually probably going to get in trouble or I had done something that I shouldn't do. And uh, it was David Scott Drew, and I was like, oh, no, what have I done? What did she see, or what did he see? My mom had eyes, I can tell you this, there there were eyes I didn't even know she had. Amen? You have moms like that? All of you moms, you still have eyes like that, right? You know. You know what I'm talking about. But Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven, showed that to you. And he goes on, I also say to you that you, right now, after I've called you Simon Barjona, you are now a new name. You're Peter. You are the rock. Because upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of hell shall not prevail, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, right beside Sherry, there's some keys that I want to have her bring up here. Two men of our church made these. One was Dan. One was Gordon. And uh, that's one of them that Gordon made. He used chrome. I think that's chrome. Or is that aluminum? What is that? It's really, it's really light like metal. Anyway, thank you, Sherry. Thank you. You're good. You're kind of like Vanna. I don't think I can do what I'm thinking of doing. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get her done anyway. Everybody see those? I used to have these little keys. And I was just like, no, these are the keys. Keys of the kingdom, I want them big. And so uh, we, got, we got several keys in there. And I think I have as many keys on there as what I'm going to give you. But uh, there are some keys, and i put these out here for you to know. God's got some real things called keys that you and I need to walk with and operate in. In God's kingdom, we've got to learn in order to get loose from bondages, we've got to learn these keys. You see, for Simon Barjona, he was told by Jesus, or told by God who Jesus really was. And he got his name changed. He was then called a rock. You know, on many occasions, Jesus quite bluntly stated, if you do this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, it won't happen. And sometimes I think in the kingdom of God, we wonder, well, Lord, why aren't you doing this? And I believe if we listened really hard enough, he would say, because you're not doing this. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue teaching you the kingdom keys, but before I do, I want to explain something that has got to be firmly fixed within your spirit. This must be a truth. Everybody say truth. That you fully come to grips with. There are two worlds out there. You've got to come to grips with this. It's the title of the message. There is what I call the visible world. It's what we see. It's what's happening all around us. The visible world is in a crisis. That's probably the way a newspaper would put it, Newsweek or Time magazine. Here's the way the Bible puts it. In Matthew chapter 3, I believe it's John the Baptist, he says the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. That's the way the Bible puts it. And the key words describing this world's problems are recession, and debt, and disease, and crime, and hunger, and pollution, and morality, and poverty, and education, And volumes are written on each one of these subjects, and each crisis carries the same theme, hopeless. Hopelessness. Do you you hear what I'm saying? Do you feel what I'm saying? Do you agree with what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's kind of the news outlet. And people today are crying for solutions that are too big for us. They're too big for government. They're too big for people. They're too big for parents. They're, they're too big for, uh, you know, our government. Uh, all of these things, they're like on the verge of collapse. Our finances are chaotic. Our atmosphere. And I'm not talking about what we breathe in. What I, I'm talking about the atmosphere in which we live. It's become violent. It's become very hostile. Fear reigns everywhere in the world. Now, I remember years ago before COVID, it was, this was the, this was, I I just remember this, it would be around the fall, and this commercial would come on. And it was intent, its intent was to scare you into doing something, probably is the way I kind of took it, but it started off like this. Watch out, here it comes, the flu. Basically, it's like, oh my, oh my, here's the flu. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? But it was meant to scare. It was meant to instill fear. And I'm just here to say today, God's given us keys To walk through life unafraid, stay in faith. And you know what, church, can I just say this? What is the worst thing that can happen to you on this earth? That we die, right? Paul said it this way. If I stay here with you, that's good. But if I go home to be with God in heaven, that's even better. So, if the worst thing that can happen to us on earth is called good by Paul, and the next thing is even better, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Well, what's the rest of that phrase? Fear itself. I want you to go back to 1940. Three physicists are working in a laboratory, and they split the atom. And they confirmed the theory of Albert Einstein that E does, in fact, equal mc squared. The split of that atom caused a multiplication of energy, church, listen to this, in the order of six million to one. At last, man had discovered a source of cheap and abundant energy for the world forever. Men thought that the age-old territorial disputes would end, that wars would cease and no nation would be without. But you know what? History records a very different outcome because the work of those three men evolved into an age of terror, not an age of abundance, There was Hiroshima. There was Nagasaki. But that was only the beginning. Physicists quickly perfected nuclear fusion and a release of energy, listen to this, 50 million to one. That was then made. You see, the A-bomb had been superseded by the H-bomb. The atomic bomb was then outdated by the hydrogen bomb and by 1950 there were two and a half billion people in the world. Today we're knocking on eight billion and in that same time period energy costs have, they probably quadrupled in the past year. I haven't even really kept up with how all, all I know is it, every time I go it takes more. Amen? And the national debt skyrockets while, while meanwhile, unmistakable scent of what the Bible calls the spirit of Antichrist is in the air. It was present at the Tower of Babel. It was present at Sodom and Gomorrah. It was present in Nazi Germany. And church, it's present today. I'm going to show you how this works. First, there is a significant minority then an actual majority of people who throw off the restraints of history. Are we seeing that? We're seeing more and more people throwing off the restraints of history, then the restraints of written law, then the accepted forms of morality, even churches. Then they throw off the church, and finally they throw out God Himself. And that's the way it's worked down through history. And shortly after the turn of the 20th century, a false view began to take over America, although its name didn't become known immediately. The view came over America called humanism. It spread into all aspects of life until finally it even spread into the church. God is no longer viewed as Creator. God is no longer viewed as healer. God is no longer viewed as provider. And meanwhile, nothing is working. Can I hear an amen? Bodies are wearing out as sicknesses and disease soar. Brains are wearing out trying to figure things out. Suicides are soaring. Schools are failing. Businesses are failing. Governments are failing. Why? Because there's another world out there calling to those of us who will hear, who have an ear to hear. You read the book of Revelation, and the Bible says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Jesus often would say that. If you have an ear to hear, use it for that. Those, those, this voice in our ear will contradict those limited viewpoints and limitations of this world. Jesus will speak out and He will say this, and this is what He said to us this last week, Seek first My kingdom and My righteousness and all these other things. They'll be added unto you. John six, or Matthew 6.33 Jesus had just declared in Matthew 4.17 that the kingdom of God was here. It's now here. And what He was saying was that this invisible world, this spirit world, had invaded the visible. The kingdom of heaven equals the kingdom from heaven. That kingdom is here on planet earth today. How do I know? Because Jesus said the things I do, you're going to do. Same Holy Spirit is here. And what you and I need to learn to do is to look from the visible world into the invisible, and it'll change as we look back into the visible the way we look into it. See, we need to look away from this physical, visible world of impossibilities. People look at it and say, Well, that's impossible. To possible. Oh no, it's possible. All things are possible to him who believes. But you see, we've got to do more than just look. We've got to enter that invisible world and bring the invisible into the visible realm. That's what Jesus did. You see, we're, we're face-to-face with the impossible every single day, and that's the news we hear. Everything's impossible. Church, can I just use one example? COVID. Let's just go there real quick. When it first came out, it was attacking the lungs, Respiratory system, now it's like a common cold. Your sore throats, possibly, in fact, th- 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 there might be 18 to 20% that get a fever with this particular strain that's now BA5, whatever it is. It's like a common cold. In fact, if you call your doctor, if you have COVID, they'll probably just simply say, hey, just treat it like you got the cold or what, like you got the flu. It does not, It doesn't even mess with your smell and taste. Rewind two years ago. Had we stayed in that mindset and nothing had morphed, would we still believe that it would be possible that it wouldn't be that bad? That God could eliminate it. That God could keep us. That God could protect us. That God could walk with us in it. Because I don't think he's ever left us. You see, we are finite, but he's infinite, and he's either infinite forever or he's never been infinite, because that's what infinite means. It means forever, forever past and forever future, and when we think, we think finite, but God wants us to start changing our thinking into infinite You say, well, Pastor, I can't do that. You're right, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can even think like he thinks. The Bible says this, we have the mind of Christ. You say, really, I do? Yeah, you do. But it's just what are you going to exercise? Are you going to exercise? How often are you in the Word of God? How often are you in the things of God? How often are you in the kingdom of God? And I'll tell you what, if you are 500 hours in the kingdom of darkness and five minutes in the kingdom of heaven, guess which one's going to be bigger? I mean, if you're listening to what the devil's saying, if you're listening to what the news is saying, if you're listening to what the naysayers are saying, and you believe that over what God is saying, I'll guarantee you who you're going to be acting like. Now, nobody here at Celebration Church, of course. But we need to look away from this visible world of impossibilities into this world of possibilities. We need to look away from the mortal and into the immortal. We need to look away from from what the devil lives in to what Jesus lives in. As a man. And many times he, he got frustrated when his disciples didn't live in it. After he had fed five thousand men with two loaves and five, or two fish and five loaves, he said, "Go across, Get in the boat and go across the water. I'm going to go up the mountain. I'm going to pray to my dad, and when I'm, I'll, I'll join you there." And, and I'm sure they're thinking in their mind, "Well, how's he going to get over there if we got the boat?" And in the middle of here to there, there's a storm. And church, can I just tell you, that's life. When God says go somewhere, it's not in some fun place to do some easy thing. I mean, when God sent his own son to come to the earth, did it, was it for something easy? Was it for something fun? No, it was a tough place. Hated him. Wouldn't listen to him. The light came and the darkness wouldn't receive him. His own people wouldn't receive him. He ultimately had to go also. He had to go out to people that, the, the people that were believing him weren't even the people of God. We have the woman at the well. She's a half-breed. She's half-Jew, half-Hellenistic Greek. She's, She's Samaritan. She's the enemy. She's the wrong tribe. And yet God uses her to spread revival in Samaria. The Syrophoenician woman had a daughter that needed to be healed. And Jesus said, I came to the children of Israel. And she said, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs off the table, that fall from the table. And he said, "I. this is great faith. He said, she's healed. I mean, she didn't even let him tell her no. He came to the Jews, but he was like, man, I like that. And And so... These disciples in between here and there, they go into the storm, and they're on the Sea of Galilee on a journey Jesus himself sent them on. I want to repeat that. Jesus himself sent them on, and a storm arose, and, and their, their little boat is getting swamped with water, and it shows signs of sinking, and they wake, you know, they're like, man, what's going on? And Jesus comes walking on the very thing that's hindering him. He's walking on the water. And he's like, "Oh, ye have little faith. He doesn't accept. I mean this happens a second time. He's in the boat with them this time. You'd think they wouldn't be afraid with Jesus in the boat, but they're still afraid with Jesus in the boat, and ultimately, he's asleep. He's sleeping through the things they're worrying about. That ought to tell you something. God's probably sleeping through the thing you're worrying about." He's like, mm. Not that he doesn't care. It's not that. It's that, man, I've told my kid what to do. How many of you parents ever feel like that? Man, son, I already told you what to do. How many times? That's what Jesus is saying. How long have I been with you? How long have I got to put up with you? When talk about one of the hard sayings of Jesus, that's one of them. You're like, what, Lord Jesus? I, you're supposed to be a pastor. You're not supposed to talk to me like that. <laughs> So Jesus himself steps out, speaks to the storm, and it becomes perfectly calm. And here's what a lot of people think. A lot of people think, well, you know, even in insurance companies, they call it an act of God. That wasn't an act of God. That was an act of the devil. That storm was an act of the devil. That was a destructive thing. And we know it couldn't have been God because Jesus rebuked it. And Jesus is not going to rebuke his dad. They had the power, they had the authority, they had, he said, you guys get on across the water. That right there was enough authority to do whatever you need to do in this world to take care of business. And if the devil comes into your world to mess up your life and to give you a storm, speak to the storm. The Bible says, if you'll speak to this mountain, do not doubt in your heart, but you believe with with all your heart what you say is going to happen, it's going to happen. God's going to make it happen. That's what that Syrophoenician woman did. My baby's going to get healed. And you're the healer, and I'm not leaving until I get it, even if I have to lap like a dog to get the crumbs off the table. And Jesus is like, you got it. You got it, sis. He said, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? And they had refused to reach out into the world of the possible, and Jesus was visibly frustrated at their unwillingness of of those that he loved to accept the truth of what he told them. How many of you parents have ever gotten frustrated at the one you love, your kids, because they won't listen to you? And you're like, man, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. You know, it makes me wonder what he feels like when his followers today are impotent to overcome the visible world we face. You know, Catherine Kuhlman once said this. She says, "I, um, I sometimes think we're too familiar with God. I believe she was right. Many times we use God like an appliance. That's why we sang the songs we sang today. Lord, I'm not here to push a button and ask you to do something. I don't want that from you. And that that song, uh, we won't be satisfied with anything ordinary. It's not that you're being that, it's not that that song is being a brat. What those words literally mean is, Lord, we're not going to be satisfied with anything ordinary. That's what the world, that's what the stuff is of the world. The food, the clothing, all those things, that's not what satisfies us. We need the rain from heaven. We need the fire of God. We need, Lord, we just need you. God is God Almighty, not almost mighty. He's all mighty. He is the great I am. Well, I might. No, I am. He, he is the one who created the sun. He's the one who created the moon. He's the one who created the earth. He's the one who created the solar system. He even told us in his word while men were wondering, is the world flat or is, is the world round? He already had it in the word of God. In the book of Isaiah, he had it in the book of Job. He already had there. that was a, surf, a sphere, a circumference. All he had to do is open up the word of God, the greatest history book ever made. He simply said, let there be light, and the power of a billion hydrogen bombs began to move, and there was light. Paul said it this way, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all, somebody say all, that we ask, now think about this, or think. Now, I'm going to ask you this, how many of you have ever asked God for something? Then how many of you have ever thought of something that you were afraid to ask God about? You're like, no. No, he probably wouldn't do that. No, he said he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all you ask or think. That means imagine. He can top your imagination. If you can think it, he can top it. In fact, if you can think it, he probably is involved in it. Not sin. But that's God. And Jesus said, have faith in Him. Touch Him and anything is possible. If you have been having an issue of blood for 12 years and you touch the hem of His garment, you don't even ask for healing. You're healed. The Lord wants us in league with the Father to the point that we see with Him, think with Him, as Jesus did, so we can say along with Jesus that we do only what we see the Father do. Are you with me today? Will you please forgive me for being a little excited? You see, that, that way we'll reach into the invisible world, and even though we're living in the visible, we'll bring it into our land. Ha. Ah. Church, you can have real peace. You can have true freedom. Do you know what true freedom is? It's not doing what you want to do. It's not doing everything you want to do. It's doing the things that without God, you could never do. When you were a sinner, you were bound to sin every day. You couldn't get out of it. But now that Jesus is in your life, you are free not to sin. And there's just no other way around it. You can't be free not to sin if you don't know God. Do you hear me today? Can you do that? Can you do what I just said? Can you believe that? Every single one of us can, absolutely. Would you like to know how? Let's look at one more passage of Scripture. You still got enough attention? Okay. Look at John chapter 3. We're going to read in uh, verses 1 all the way through uh, verse 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, he was a ruler of the Jews. And the man came to Jesus by night because he didn't want to come by day and have anybody see that it was him coming to ask of Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now stop there for just a minute. Nicodemus realizes that Jesus was real down to earth, yet there was something about him. He spoke with authority. He moved with power. He said, "I, I know that you couldn't do what you do unless God's with you. And Jesus skipped the small talk, and he went straight to the heart of Nicodemus' concern. Here it is. He says this in verse 3. Jesus answered, and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot see what? The kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus is startled. What kind of remark is that? After what Nicodemus just said. So getting bolder, Nicodemus answers back more directly than before. And it says, now Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So see, what he's wanting is he's wanting a glimpse of this invisible world, and Jesus tells him how to do it. Everybody say, here's how. But church, let me just give you a little bit of a precursor here. It went over Nicodemus's head. Kind of like one of those balloons. Jesus answers again in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, notice back in verse 3 that Jesus referred first to seeing the kingdom. Let's look at verse 3 again. John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom. But now he took him a step further, and Jesus, in verse uh, 5, notice this, it says, he cannot enter. Now, seeing is one thing, entering is another. A lot of people see. They just don't enter. You can see it, but do you want to just see it or do you want to enter it? I want to enter it. And Nicodemus is amazing. His amazement begins to soar. And we're going to read now verses 6 through 16. So Jesus presses on with many, many, many deep things of the Spirit. This guy's a teacher of Israel, Nicodemus. He should be able to handle it, right? Here's what it says. Now, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So everyone, so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And he says, Jesus said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? This is elementary stuff. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, Jesus is cutting some pretty good meat here. No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself, Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. How is he going to be lifted up? Jesus was lifted up off the earth on that cross when he died on our, for our sins. So that whoever believes will have eternal life. He's telling about what's going to happen. Now, we all know this one, and this is where it came from, but this is the conversation that happened. All of that that I just talked about is the conversation that happened before we get to this. And we all know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the reality the world so deeply craves. It begins when a person gets born again. And I'm sad to say that evangelical Christians have far too long reduced the born-again experience to the issue of just being saved. I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, I got my ticket punched, and I'm good. Now, salvation is important. And it must never be de-emphasized, but rebirth has got to be seen as the thing it truly is. It's a beginning. It's just the beginning. I mean, when you get saved, I don't care if you're 59 and you get saved that year, it's just beginning. You're a baby. You're born again. Now you've got to learn. You're born. Now you're not a baby in the ways of the world, but you're a baby in the things of God. And you've got to grow. And so, rebirth can, has always got to be seen as a beginning, never as an arrival, never as an end. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to dis- observe everything I told you to do. The commission was to make followers, converts, and then Disciples. Loyal, learning followers, and teach them the keys of the kingdom. Teach them the principles of the kingdom. In other words, entry into the body of Christ was not enough. Now, I'm going to have to close. But they were to learn how to live in this world. They, they were to learn how to let the invisible rule the visible. And man, isn't that what the church needs today? You see, many believers who have been born again by the Spirit have seen the kingdom. Everybody say, seen it. And it's working. But they have not fully entered it. They still allow the conditions of the world to dominate the thinking, dominate their thoughts. How then do we enter Well, we've got to be saved. But here it is in Matthew 18. Look at verse 3. He said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children. Say that, and become like children. You will not enter. The kingdom of heaven. We must be saved, but then what? Become like little children. Now that's hard for a sophisticated generation because it requires what is the one thing a child has? Faith in their mom and dad. Trust. Trust. You see, a child is willing to leap ahead and seize any opportunity that his father or his mother lays before him. Church, we all have a father in heaven. He's doing the same for us. He gladly offers us His inexhaustible riches and His power. And He's pressing them upon us, and if we'll only respond confidently, joyfully, exuberantly, like little children, we'll receive it. I'll close with this story. There was a man that boarded a ship in England. He was on his way to America. And he was in third class, low as he could get in the boat. And he brought a bunch of snacks with him, some food with him. And every time the meal bell would ring, all of his sweetmeats would go and leave and begin to eat at the cafeteria while he would stay in his room and eat his cheese and bread. Those were his snacks, every meal. And finally, the voyage, they finally arrived to America, and as he was deboarding, the captain asked him, why did you never come to any of the meals for breakfast, lunch, or dinner? And he said, oh, I brought my own food. I, I always ate. I just had some bread and cheese, and I had that each meal. He said, because I couldn't afford anything more. And he said, oh, didn't you know? Your ticket included all the meals. If you're saved, and you got your ticket stamped to heaven... Jesus died for more than that. Just thought I'd tell you that. Isaiah says it this way. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. But the chastisement of our peace was also on him. If you're a Christian not walking or living in peace, you're not eating all the meals that's there part of your ticket. Be at peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Don't live below what he died to give you. I'm not done yet. Because Isaiah's not done yet. He said, and by his stripes, they beat him. With that whip, they beat him 39 times. They beat him by his stripes, were healed. Church, I just want you to know something about heaven. There's nobody sick there, there's nobody blind there, there's nobody lame there, there's nobody wheezing there, there's nobody sneezing there, there's nobody that can't hear there, there is nobody that can't sleep there. Everybody that's there is healed. And Jesus said, Disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now I got to stop. I, I, just keep, I, keep going. I could just keep going all day long on this. But Jesus said, Here's what Jesus said when the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, let your name be praised. Hallowed be your name. And the very next thing he says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You say, so what do I do? You say, when the kingdom of God isn't happening around you, kingdom of God, come. Devil, get out of here. Will of God be done. We haven't even gotten into the keys yet, and this is still this is pretty good stuff from God. This is not my stuff. Church, I just got to let you know, all I get to do is read the book and then tell you about what I read. This is the funnest job in the world. In fact, this doesn't even feel like a job. This feels like I get to study and I I I get to live, to study, to preach. Man, I hope you get this stuff. I hope everybody listening to this gets this stuff, because this is powerful, this is invisible coming into the visible. This is the unseen changing the scene. Double entendre there. What we see and changing the scene around us, amen. And I'm just here to say, you know what, there's going to be stuff happening in this earth, and you're going to go, Lord, I just don't understand it. Why didn't this happen? Well, why didn't that happen? And church, one day, it's, it's like a, a child doesn't understand you as a mom and dad why you don't do what they think you should do. And so sometimes we take that to God, and we're like, God, I don't understand why you don't just, just wipe all those miserable people out. Just take the evil people out of this world. Just remove them from the planet. Just. You know who we're acting like? The sons of thunder. Two of Jesus' disciples. One of them was real close to him. James and John. John was his best friend, basically, by the time it's all over. The, The one whom Jesus loved, that's how John referred to himself. But you know what? They wanted to take out all these people. And you know what Jesus said to them? You do not know what spirit you're of. You see, when you want to take everybody out, you better watch it. Because that's not God's spirit. The Bible says his hand is still stretched out. His loving kindness endures forever. His loving kindness endures forever. See, sometimes we want to say, God, don't be so loving, don't be so kind, don't be so merciful. But man, what if he hadn't been to us? Well, I gotta go. I gotta let you go. Uh, What is this about the fourth time I've closed? Are you getting something out of this? There's just I hope I don't keep you from coming next week because that it's gonna get good. I will, I, I will just say it's going to get good. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you, you, your word is good. You are good. And, Lord, there is nothing that the enemy can do that can trump that. It, there's nothing he can do that can quench that. And so, Lord, I just pray today you would get our minds, our thoughts, our attention off the garbage, and let us get it on the riches of heaven. Let us get it on you. Let it get, you are the riches of heaven. And, Lord, I pray that we would bathe in you, that we would bathe in your spirit. I pray that your glory will come down like a a glory cloud, like the smoke we find in the book of Revelation, like the cloud we find in the the book of of Isaiah. Lord Jesus, let your glory come down. Let your weight come down come down. Let your anointing come down. Touch us again and let us walk in the the same kingdom that you showed us how to walk in and live in, the one that Peter began to enter. And Lord, as we go our way today, I pray that faith would rise in our soul, that worry would be dealt a death blow, I pray, Lord, that doubt would go, that faith would rise. Lord Jesus, that you would heal people. Lord Jesus, that you would save people. Lord Jesus, that you would provide for people, that you would give good news to those who have had bad news. And Lord God, let us learn and let us grow and let us be more of a disciple and closer to you than we've ever been before. And if that's your prayer today also, would you say a big amen? Amen. I love you, Lord. I love you guys as well. God bless you. Have a great week. Stay in the Word. Stay true. You can't fail with that. Amen. God bless.